1: hello and welcome to i'd sooner forget this a podcast where guests share with you an artifact from their past like when i was 19 and i wrote a poem called a poem about bricks which went like this bricks 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 red and brown used for walls used for houses used for vandalism and thrown at mouses I'm Daryl Smith, and with me today is comedian Chris Shopping. Hello. How much research did you have to do into bricks to come up with that? I think I looked at a brick and thought, these are the uses for them. Well, that's, that is, we can't all be struck by the artistic muse as strongly as that every <laughs> turn. And I think I looked at the word houses and thought, what rhymes are this? <laughs>
2: mouses. <laughs> yeah,
1: mouses, a word which doesn't even exist.
2: And that's what Shakespeare was doing, so... <laughs> He made up loads of words, didn't he? So you're in a good in good company. <laughs> uh, Chris, what have you brought with you today? Uh, I have brought my blog that I wrote in my twenties under the name thatidiotchrischopping.blogspot.com. Blogspot, yes, that's a blast from the past, isn't it? Though it's still all there <laughs> <laughs> in the history of the internet, and it's I mean it's a terrible name as well, isn't it? That idiot Chris Chopping that is immediately like the kid at school going, oh i'm an I- i'm so wacky i'm i'm an I- i'm an idiot i'm an idiot i am um cuz i just had didn't know anything better to call it yeah but yeah it's really bad um so what article are we going to look at first? Oh well, right. I mean, this is—I've printed out a whole sheaf of it. This is not all of the blog, but it is a depressingly large amount, given that I wrote this blog over the course of about a decade, <laughs> and I've really accrued very little. But there's a an, uh, let's look at the, like the very first article that I wrote, uh, which, as an aspiring slash struggling comedian, I am embarrassed to say I titled "Eddie Izzard Should Have Died Young." I mean, that is a bold statement. It's a heavy a start isn't it? it's quite a powerful you know thought-provoking <laughs> title it's yeah it's really embarrassing it's really bad because Eddie Izzard is brilliant isn't he you know mm. on balance and <laughs> I think he'd done a couple of disappointing videos uh that had been a bit underwhelming and I thought if he'd if he'd had died before releasing these better for everyone Wow. Uh, which I don't think... He's done a lot of good work for charity. He's done a lot of political campaigning. And he's also, you know, been bloody funny. Uh, subsequent to this, I think I was maybe jumping the gun a little bit. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear it. Uh, what All of it. Well, certainly hear the start. Your opening gambit, definitely. Uh, so this was the first article I wrote on the fix. So it says, OK, so this isn't the most positive start to blog that has ever been. But it's a valid point that deserves to be made. <laughs> Eddie Izzard has passed his peak, and there is no way back now. Please understand that I am a big fan of Eddie's work. I used to watch his videos religiously. I spent about a year of my life in high school talking like him, not deliberately, but because I watched his shows so often. Eventually, my family picked up on how great he was too. My cousins borrowed Dress to Kill. My nana had her own copy of Glorious. Imagine how self-satisfied I felt when we had the family round for Christmas and everyone wanted to watch the Eddie Azard Circle video that I had got for Christmas. I secretly congratulated myself on having the best taste in the room. (laughs) Imagine my embarrassment when the video I had so looked forward to left my entire family fighting off yawns and struggling to keep their eyes open. Eddie was dull. I couldn't believe it. All the mannerisms were there, the long drawn-out style of his speech was still in place. What happened to all the funny bits? Why did he have to keep asking the audience to remind him where he had got to? He never used to do that. He used to take poetic flights of fancy, then drag the audience back to where he wanted them. He never needed their help before. They struggled to keep up with him. Still, I told myself, it's probably no more than a blip. Next time round, he'll be back on form, no worries. Sadly, sexy was no better. The best thing on it is the bonus feature where he struggles through a routine in French for a French crowd. Trouble is, all the jokes in that are ancient, and all the new material in the main show is weak. <laughs> I mean, that was the start of that. And then I go on in a similar vein uh, about his sycophantic fans, now he's never going to amount to anything much. And uh, yeah, it's a bit. I said, oh, I finished it by going Eddie Azard could have been the comedy equivalent of Jimi Hendrix. If he doesn't get his act together, he'll become the comedy Rolling Stones, selling out big shows on reputation alone. It's sad but true.
1: Wow. Yeah. Oh, so many questions. Uh, <laughs> the, I suppose the first thing that I want to know is like, At the time, had you started performing comedy?
2: No, this was, like, about a decade before I started performing. No, it wasn't as long as that, actually. No, it wasn't. It was about seven years before I started doing comedy. It was when I was about 18, I think. So, and I was a student. You know, I wasn't, like, a teenager in his bedroom writing this bullshit. I was out in the world, living independently of his parents, studying, working a part-time job, student, thinking this was acceptable (laughs) stuff to put out uh, for public consumption. And just, like, he's really good, isn't he? And I'm really sort of in awe of his abilities as a comedian. Subsequently, somebody told me that he had a contract where his his videos had to come out in time for Christmas, so they had to be filmed really early on the tour. And he was the sort of comedian who'd, like, evolve his stuff and his shows over the course of the tour. So what you'd see on the videos were, like, very early shows... In the run, oh, uh, which might explain why a couple of his videos at that point weren't his best, which I still think is true, but maybe not quite worthy of the harsh judgment and my desire that he kill himself, and still probably better than you know anything I have accomplished at (laughs) some distance. So, how serious were you being as such
1: when you were writing that? Was it? Were you writing for laughs?
2: Um, I think, like, you can tell I'm trying to, you know, phrase it, bits of it amusingly, but I I really meant it. <laughs> <laughs> I really did think, like, oh, Eddie Azar's part of Prime. And, and, you know, you, I was at that point of kind of fandom of stuff. I think I'm a lot mellower now about things, but that point of fandom where your stuff is so important. Like, your favourite bands are the most important thing, and the ones you don't like are shit. (laughs) Not just... No, not really my taste. They're really... They're the enemy of goodness in the world. Bad music. Fuck you, Coldplay, for being slightly dull. You know, and... Uh, and and anyone you loved who then did something you didn't like, it was like they'd personally let you down and sort of yeah. spat in your face. Like, I've got another bit later on in the blog uh, about Johnny Vegas's 18 Stone of Idiot TV series that he did, which it only got one series. So I was probably right when I put in my blog that it wasn't great. But at the same time, I feel like I've got a much better understanding these days of the sort of effort that goes on to make a TV show that, even when things don't work out and it doesn't come together, it's not for want of trying or for people trying to make it good or do the right thing and it's and I feel like me at Northampton not going to lectures and getting a two two in English literature, sitting there sneering at people, working trying to make something great and it not quite coming off, I call it eighteen stone of mediocrity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which, again, it's like, who am I to say anything about that to anyone? So, yeah. At the time, did you have hopes to do stand-up? I genuinely, at the time, I just don't think I thought that comedy... I would have loved to have done it in the same way that you might want to be a pop star or a footballer. But I thought it was no more likely. Do you know what I mean? And I... I'd never lived anywhere where there was like a regular comedy club where I could go and see live comedy regularly. My idea of comedy was these geniuses that you see on the telly come up with a new hour every year and put it out on DVD and that's who the comedians are. And I didn't realise you could kind of do 20 minutes in weekend clubs and, you know, earn a living that way. I didn't realise you could go and do open mic nights and start out doing five minutes and learn your craft and I just thought these people were just geniuses who just kind of... Had never been bad. Had never had to learn it. What I really thought at the time I could do was, and why I th- one of the reasons I was writing this blog was, I thought maybe I could be a newspaper columnist. Do you know John Diamond? Don't think so. He's no. John Diamond was Nigella Lawson's husband, and uh, basically he died of cancer, and he wrote a book called. Uh, see because cowards get cancer too or something something like that about his experiences and he, was, he became quite famous at the time because he wrote this series of columns in the times mm. uh, about his experiences of having cancer and what that all that was like and so he became quite famous for that but i didn't read any of those i was reading him in the express and at, around at my grandma's house because that was her paper that she used to get regularly so uh, I have re- I wrote this article kind of in praise of him, but there's a, this horrible paragraph in it where I just go, I'm talking about uh, that I wanted to have my own weekly column in a daily paper. <laughs> and I go, I th- first, first realised that this was the pipe dream for me, reading the columns in the Daily Express at my grandma's house. Topaz and more was amusing. Martin Samuel was very funny, if a little too focused on sport. Top of the pile, my favourite of all was John Diamond what a horrible, sort of bland, (laughs) middle-class aspiration. (laughs) Like, oh, I hope I could write a column in the Daily Express (laughs) expressing banal opinions. I'm I'm sure Martin Samuel and Topaz Amor are are lovely people, but, God, they shouldn't be a hero, should they? (laughs) Any... uh, uh.
1: So was John Diamond your biggest influence, writing? (laughs)
2: Um, Well, the thing was, it was kind of years earlier that I'd read... been writing, reading those articles at my only grandma's so it might have had some sort of influence on my writing at the time I was reading probably a lot of the NME music journalism that was a cue so that was probably the thing that was influencing a lot of my writing and as the blog went on there was a lot more kind of music reviews and, and things like that in there rather than more article stuff but I just wasn't coming out with any sort of quantity of stuff any reliable I you know I was looking back at it and there'd be like one blog post, and then a gap of sort of three months before the next one. So this was me thinking I could I could write a you know a daily column in a newspaper. <laughs> I can't write a blog post reliably you know <laughs> once a month. And yeah, and I think now it's easier anyway now. But also I think like, I wasn't very engaged with the world. You know I was quite solipsistic. I'd watch a lot of TV. Now I could like, just go on the news app on my you know smartphone and and. Go, oh, that's annoyed me. I can write about that. Oh, I can bash the Tories or I can, you know, write about this thing or I can get passionate about that and then I can do something a bit more lighthearted. I could probably quite easily, you know, if I had the desire, write a lot more stuff. But I had this really sort of horrible, lazy aspirate. Yeah, like, it's a really bland aspiration to be a Daily <laughs> Daily Express columnist. Like, <laughs> fuck me. And I wasn't even putting the work in to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, really bad.
1: Were you sharing
2: this with people? Were
1: you letting your friends know?
2: Um, I think I was, you know, it was on the internet, it was online. I was on a couple of sort of music forums where you'd sort of talk about music and discuss that. And I was probably sort of putting a link on there and letting people know. Maybe if I put something I was particularly pleased with, I might have linked to it on Facebook, but I don't think I was sort of necessarily encouraging... I think my dad read some of it. I don't think I was necessarily encouraging my student mates to kind of get on board with it. You know, I think it was very separate, So if I'll just write this on my own and then sort of... You know, go back and play Mario Kart with them, and not really bring it up. It's weird. There are bits that I, I was obviously quite proud of some of the writing, and there's bits now that I kind of go, okay, well, I was trying to be funny there, and that kind of came off, and that's quite nice and enthusiastic. That's nice kind of music review or whatever. But I obviously, at the same time, was a bit dubious about just trying to get my mates to look at it. Yeah, you know, that would have been a bit uh, exposing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So who were you hoping would find it, then? Oh, you know, the general populace. <laughs> you know, the masses who are crying out for some decent content, aren't they? they certainly they were there. There's a lot. There wasn't Netflix at the time, you've got to remember. So people were very bored and lonely. Uh, and I imagine, you know, I thought they were going to read all these brilliant things. But, like I say, it was so sporadic and so scattershot. And I think if you are going to write a blog, and I'm not saying that anyone should... There's probably enough content on the internet now, guys. But if you are going to write a blog, it's probably a good idea to have some sort of focus. Do you know what I mean? I
1: used to write a blog very, yeah. at a very similar time. It was on Tumblr. Similar kind of articles as well. Mm. And then you say, like, you need a focus. I never had a focus. Mm. But it does feel a little bit like podcasting has filled that same space.
2: Yes, and it's evolved in a similar way. Because at the start of podcasting, there's a lot of people just going, well, I guess we'll talk about the papers or we'll just have a bit of banter and that'll, that'll do. This is a new format. We don't know how it works. You don't know how it works. You'll take what you're given. and um, But now you look, and unless you're really sort of massive and successful, you can't really get away with that. If you're trying to find, you've got to find a sort of a niche and hope people go, oh, that idea appeals to me or I already like that thing they're talking about, so I'll listen to them talking about it. And it's the same with blogs, I think. like I had to think about what I was do now if i was going to like because it's still there i could still start adding entries to it and i had two ideas of what i would do if i was going to try and reanimate this blog and i i'm not going to do either of these things because i don't have the inclination or the time or you know i'm a big procrastinator but i go out with a vegetarian who doesn't eat eggs or cheese so one idea i'd have would be the carnivores guide to vegetarian dining right which would be to kind of review. Restaurants and cafes and things from the perspective of being there with a vegetarian. Do they have things that I can enjoy? Do they have things that she can enjoy? Is the vegetarian stuff interesting enough that even I might want to try it, or is it very much kind of we can't eat any of our good stuff? You have to have the veggie burger. You know, are they good if they do a fry up and my girlfriend says I don't want the eggs? Will they go? That's fine. You can have an extra sausage, or will they go? Well, it's, you can you can exchange it for a sorry-looking half a tomato, and that's your lot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of just are they amenable? Are they? Uh and I think there might be not a big market, I don't wanna <laughs> like I'm not saying like this would suddenly take off and be a success, but I think that'd be a bit more focused than what I was doing. Yeah. The other thing that I thought about doing, and this would be very much a passion project and would be of no interest to anyone, um, from what I can imagine, would be an album by album review of every album Paul McCartney has made since he left the Beatles and extra articles about Paul McCartney and Wings, um, which is just because I'm a bit obsessed with them at the moment. But, again, like I don't think there's a big market for that, but at least it's a bit more focused. And if someone Googles Wings, they might come across that and go, oh, this is interesting, rather than just... Like, who's going to read this blog that gets updated once every three months with a gig review <laughs> of a small band in Cardiff followed by a movie review of something that's no longer in the cinemas? And... I I like I did really weird shonky things. I, I had this thing called Leaders of the Three of the F- Free World. No, Heroes of the Western World. Right. Which was really sporadic, and it was just deliberately silly, botched, really brief biographies of celebrities. I don't know what the point of them was, but it's <laughs> it's clearly me trying to be funny or find an outlet for something. But it's so it's emblematic of just I was trying throwing everything at the wall. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no yeah. consistency or anything. But it was like so. Chris Packham was one of these heroes of the Western world, the former presenter of The Really Wild Show and governor of Hong Kong. As well as having double-jointed funds, Chris really is wild about animals. His favourite animal is goose liver pate. <laughs> right, so, I mean, you see what I've done there with the governor of Hong Kong thing? The governor of Hong Kong was called Chris something, and so I've gone, I'll just conflate those two people, pretend they're the same man for no reason like uh, the jazz uh trumpeter cozy pal was the next one so it's like brilliant jazz musician and fascist best known for his famous <sighs> rivers of blood speech almost immortalized in song by the beatles when they wrote a song about cozy's garden after it appeared on bbc program Grand force the song's lyric ran i'd like to be sipping my tea in cozy pals back garden in the shade but at the last minute the band changed the lyric for one about octopuses the original version can be found on the Beatles Anthology Volume 3. I mean, what is that? <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's just lies. But I think that's that's very
1: much... Um, that's the early stages of joke writing. Well, that is joke writing. They're jokes. Is, well,
2: yeah, they are. I mean, they're not useful ones. <laughs> There's no... I don't know what I can do with that. That's uh, Yeah, just kind of Co- Cozy Pal, Enoch Pal. Those are similar names. Let's conflate those two people and pretend for nothing i don't know but it's interesting because
1: you've you've done that and then uh, as you said that's now sandwiched in between a music review yeah and then you criticizing another comedian that is yeah
2: none of it there's no focus no no really sort of scattershot all over the place and there's a review of a of a The Burger King Dark Whopper, which was a burger they brought out to promote the Dark Knight movie. Uh, I mean, what's the. What is any of this? It's really weird. And it's.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral Way So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
2: There's a really weird one I've I've got. It's a a sketch that I wrote that was supposed to be sending up Little Britain. And I think this was on sort of series three of Little Britain. And it was things like Ting Tong, The Thai Bride, and there was a lot of blacking up and a lot of repeated catchphrases. And I really, at that point, having quite liked the first series, I'd really gone off Little Britain in a big way. I think even Matt Lucas, like Matt Lucas, uh, from what I can tell, is a really lovely man. I did a tweet once about Come Fly With Me saying, oh, God, come fly with me, the new series from The Guide from Little Britain is on tonight. That's going to be awful. It's going to be fucking awful. Um, and Matt Lucas, <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't put at Matt Lucas, by the way. I wasn't trying to direct it at him. I was, it didn't occur to me that he would see it. Um, but he kind of went, So sort of went. oh, sorry sorry to hear you feel that way. We worked really hard on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, God. Um, and I, sort of, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to give, Come fly with me, a chance now, because I feel bad. It was, it was bad, but <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily justify my shitty attitude. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And but and I think even Matt Lucas has said the third series of Little Britain they were a bit lazy, and there were bits that were a bit these days you wouldn't get away with and you wouldn't do. I was trying to be. Can I like read you bits of? Oh, please this do. Sketch. It's so. What I've done, I've done it in this very satirical, clever, clever, knowing style. It's called Tiny UK. Right, so I've written a sketch and wanted to get some opinion on it. I think it is edgy and dark and different and gloriously un-PC. Right. <laughs> it is a sketch to be performed by two people. One of them should be tall, thin and camp. The other should be short, fat and bold. They are not... I repeat, not Matt Lucas and David Walliams, and you would be very wrong to jump to that conclusion. Although now I think of it, I suppose there is a passing resemblance. You see what I've done, Daryl? It's very clever. (laughs) I've alluded to Little Britain there, using my wit.
1: Um, I love how you've alluded to it, and then you've then explained the joke. (laughs) Yeah, I've really
2: (laughs) underlined it and undermined it in one fell swoop. So that's good. It's always good to do that in your writing. Uh, Anyway... David dash 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 I mean the tall one (laughs) clever (laughs) he's a policeman who likes dressing up in women's clothing there aren't any other people living locally who enjoy doing the same in fact he is certainly the only transvestite in the area (laughs) you can see I think you can see already what I was what I was doing with that um, the short, fat one plays a detective inspector who doesn't like to see any of his PCs behaving in a manner that he considers a bit puffy. I've just done air quotes around that. Uh, in fact, he if he does see such a thing, he reacts in a way that involves bodily functions and hilarious consequences. Because do you remember that a character that couldn't see... I don't know what it was, they it couldn't see any... Was it the two old ladies who threw up? If they saw all sort of a black person yeah. literally throw up, which I just I felt, you know, I know notionally it was kind of supposed to be, you know, they were kind of the idiots and the butt of the joke, but it still felt very lazy, and just them just throwing up for ages and kind of body humour I found really cheap and crap. So, <laughs> so that's what I was trying to send up in this really sort of Pleased with myself, self aggrandizing way. So anyway, so that's the setup, and it goes into the sketch. I've got the sort of voiceover, the sort of Doctor Who style voiceover they would have had. So it's, it's a Saturday, and in a small village of Coventry City on the Wold, local policeman PC Trousers is doing what he does every weekend, dressing up in women's clothing. And then I've got like a stage direction. We can see PC Mandy Trousers mincing down the high street. He is wearing full makeup and a Girl Guide uniform. Pigtails protrude from underneath an old-fashioned police helmet. Shopkeeper. Morning, PC Trousers. PC Trousers. Good morning, my name is Mandy. Old lady. Good morning, Constable. PC Trousers. Good morning, my name is Mandy. Mother and small child. Good morning, PC Trousers. Good morning, my name is Mandy. Detective Inspector Kettle, distractedly. Good morning, Constable. PC Trousers. Good morning, my name is Mandy. D.I. Kettle, realising what he has just seen. Wait a minute! (laughs) PC Trousers looks sheepish as D.I. Kettle suddenly looks really angry at the constable's, quotes puffy clothing. There is a long, loud farting noise and we see a brown stain starting to spread across the seat of D.I. Kettle's trousers. We then cut to a hilarious close-up of runny shit. I put hilarious in like big... a HILARIOUS close-up of runny shit falling out of the bottom of D.I. Kettle's trouser leg. Shopkeeper reacts. Old lady reacts. PC Trousers reacts. Young woman reacts. Small child bursts into tears. D.I. Kettle looks sheepish. The studio audience begin to boo and hiss loudly. PC Trousers silos over towards D.I. Kettle. PC Trousers, whispering. Do you ever think that we are taking large amounts of public goodwill and just slowly pissing it up the wall? See, what I've done there? That's that's me that, that's that's the guys from Little Britain I'm talking about there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've spotted because it, it's quite subtle, <laughs> the illusions I've made. I've been bloody clever with this, and I wouldn't want it to go over your head. I don't want any listeners at home going, This is just a brilliant sketch that he's written. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. You should just put this on TV uh right away. Uh, you know. And I don't want anyone from the BBC trying to commission this, because I know I've written it quite cleverly, but actually it's just a satire of a thing. Um God And D.I. Kettle, shut up, I spent a whole afternoon writing this series. Do you see? Do you see? Um... (laughs) The pair look towards the camera and smile sheepishly to renewed booing. In the background, at the edge of frame, a ginger-haired woman can be seen taking notes. Fade to black. Right, so, oh, and then I've done a little outro of kind of, well, that's it. It's not for me to comment, of course, but I don't think groundbreaking is too strong a word. It's about time people started taking transvestites seriously in comedy as well as employing irony and being gloriously (laughs) un-PC. Also, you can see how I've explored the comedy of embarrassment about shitting yourself in
1: public.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there, right? I've tried to avoid putting any actual wordplay or jokes in it, as that sort of thing can alienate viewers who don't really like comedy or thinking. I certainly feel this sort of thing could sell a lot of T-shirts and script books, which is, after all, what comedy is all about. (laughs) I mean, you can see I was genuinely sort of going after a target there. Uh, Yeah. I'm not proud of it, but I was, (laughs) you know, I was... I can see where I was coming from with that, and I still kind of, you know, I still think it was a worthy target up to a point. Apart from apart from, there's a bit in that that really makes me cringe, which I allude to... Well, you can, see, oh, you can see also the catchphrase, just me keep going, good morning, my name is Mandy, was kind of going, look, they just repeat the same catchphrases, mm. and oh, they do this body... You can see what I was trying to do, but the bit that really makes me cringe, even apart from the whole thing being fucking abysmal, uh, is there's the bit about, in the background, at the edge of frame, a ginger-haired woman can be seen taking notes. Right? Do you even know what that's about? No. I I know what that's about, but I I want to know if you... I doubt you'd have known even at the time what I was alluding to there, Uh, which I was implying that Catherine Tate was basically... The Catherine Tate show was basically ripping off Little Britain. Oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The thing is with that, like, she did a character comedy sketch show slightly after Little Britain, With big, broad, larger than life comedy characters. And again, I wasn't much of a fan of it, like the late Little Britain. So I kind of clumped those two together. But I think more directly, it was kind of because Little Britain had that Vicky Pollard character, that kind of yeah, but no, but yeah, but no character. And then Catherine Tate's, one of her most favourite characters, famous characters, was the teenage girl who had that kind of am I bothered thing. So it's the fact that it was teenage girls and that kind of staccato, kind of fast delivery. And I just kind of, again, as a sort of judgy uh sort of 20 something felt like oh this is not on she's ripping them off you know she's lazily ripping off what is already lazy (laughs) shit comedy (laughs) and there am i sitting there in judgment you know and i just i look back at that and kind of go yeah that's right younger me why not tell a female comedian she has nothing to say about the teenage girl experience because some some two white male comedians have already done it, so so what she thinks about being a teenage girl is of no value. <laughs> like, oh, it's horrible, isn't it?
1: Is that what gives you the most shame about that article? <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, I, it is, but I feel like... That would be to imply that the rest of it doesn't shame me. Do you know what I mean? I <laughs> yeah. feel like you phrase that question in went, I'll go, Yeah, no, that's the bit that gives me shame <laughs> and you'll be go- you'll do a little outro after see listen or he wasn't even embarrassed about the rest of that wreck <laughs> Like it's do you know what I mean? I can see what I was trying to do but I was trying to be too clever by half and I was too smug and I wasn't as clever as I thought I was, and it's yeah.
1: If we're looking at the blog as a whole, mm. what positives do you take out of it?
2: Well, there were, there were, I mean, I haven't brought a lot of them with me, but there were some quite nice music reviews. There was some genuine enthusiasm and sort of quite passionate writing about the music, which I think is always good to be passionate in your writing probably ages better than smugness. Um, And, you know, there were some nice bits of writing, some bits that, uh, there was a bit where I championed Stuart Lee. This is how old it was. It was back when Stuart Lee was still a person, Worthy of championing, do you know what I mean? When he couldn't really get on the telly mm. and things, but I mean, he's doing, you know, still doing better career-wise than I am now. I shouldn't wonder, but you know, uh, and some reviews of like the pipettes and the long blondes, talking about how great they are, at breaks. So all that, all the kind of more positive stuff, and and some of the stuff where I've slagged things off, but I've been quite witty about it. I think there are some bits of writing that are qu- that aren't bad. I don't think, and there's also some bits where I was trying to be funny that has come off better or worse to varying degrees. But there are some bits that I kind of go, oh, no, that was a funny, not so much things like that sketch, but like there's funny bits in the writing where I go, no, that actually was kind of a funny thing. And And then towards the end, there's a whole section called the Cider Diaries, which was me and my friend spent a year drinking 365 different types of cider. Wow. Yeah, and and they were delicious for the most <laughs> part. Uh but I started blogging that quite intently and my idea was that if I blogged that consistently through the through the year I could then kind of approach sort of like a Dave Gorman style or Danny Wallace style challenge book, you know, the year of the cider or whatever, you know, I all this, if sort of, we spent a year drinking this many ciders and and talking about some of the adventures and experiences that have thrown up, talking about and reviewing the different ciders, maybe have some side sort of pieces in there about how ciders made and everything. else. So I th- I really thought like that could be a good book, and I think you know probably some of the writing in that holds up. I think it's still a nice idea. Unfortunately, I kind of. I was working two jobs at the time and spending a lot of time drinking cider. <laughs> and that is not conducive to getting a lot of writing done. And also, so I was doing most of the blog round at my friend's house. And then after sort of Cider 33 is as far as it gets. And then my mate's laptop got nicked. So, and I didn't have time to be round at their house drinking cider and then go back to mine and type it up and work two jobs. And it just fell by the wayside. But I think that could have been quite good, actually. And I'm not going to read any of that out. I'm going to let people continue to believe it It might have been quite good. Um, And then after that, that's pretty much where the blog ends as well because I've got two... The the two last articles in the blog, the penultimate article is called What I Did on My Holidays, and it's an article just expressing my enthusiasm for stand-up, which i just started doing. And I actually, this article was also published on the Chortle website where he extracted a really clunky joke, which I reinstated for my own blog post. Uh, But otherwise, he published that. And the fact that that's the penultimate article says to me, right, you found a different way to express yourself that maybe you were more seated to, maybe not. But, like, that, you found this new thing and you didn't need to be occasionally returning to this blog and go, oh, I guess I'd try and do something creative. I actually had sort of an outlet for all that stuff. So, looking at the blog overall, Mm. how have you felt rereading it? (sighs) Like... There are turns of phrase in it that I like. But it would be hard to find a whole article that I could read without. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I don't think I'm a terrible writer. I can string a sentence together. But the whole pieces are quite embarrassing. Taken en masse and taken as a... Does that make sense? I mean, and yeah. like some of the music review ones, I actually look back and go, like, oh, OK, they're all right. That's nice. But yeah, kind of. I almost feel like, like some of this stuff is like kind of going. It's embarrassing, but it gives me an an opportunity to to explain and justify. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, Catherine Tate, you are actually quite a talented writer and actress. And I'm sorry, I implied that you shouldn't be able to write about teenage girls because Matt Lucas had done it already. Like, what the fuck? And you know, I'm sorry, Eddie Izzard, probably good you're alive and that. Sorry, Johnny Vegas you've done lots of great work, and I'm sure you tried really hard on that TV show, even though it didn't really pan out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. just uh, Are you happy that you did it? The blog? Yeah. Um, you know, it probably got some bad ideas and habits out of my system as a writer. It probably, you know, anything that you're doing creatively keeps your mind ticking over, and ultimately it hasn't done me any harm, has it? So <laughs> that's probably, it's probably fine, isn't it, that I did it? It probably is good to have done have been writing something. I mean, there's no reason why I couldn't have just written it in a notebook and not <laughs> shared it with the world, come to think. But, you know, that's the way of it now.
1: And how has it felt sharing it
2: with me? Um, Yeah, it's it's happened, hasn't it? Um, I mean, it's fun. This feels like a fairly s- trusting, safe environment, but then people might listen to it, and they might not have your sort of kind eyes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they, yeah... And I, oh, my cheeks are kind of burning from it now. So that's, I thought it was going to be fine. And now I feel a bit, ugh. What makes you feel that way? Just, I've read quite a lot of Dross, haven't I? I've read quite a lot of dross, and I and I've told you it's dross, and at no point have you corrected me and gone, no, no, I think actually that was overlooked genius. So it definitely, I was definitely right in my in my assessment of it, which is a shame. Um, I think you know I'm trying to say that I had good intentions, and that there were some good ideas and some and some nice sentences in there. So I'm trying not to kind of feel too awful.
1: If you could go back in time and speak mm. to yourself the day. That you began this blog. Is there anything mm. that you would have
2: liked to have told yourself? Don't be such a cunt about it. Um, that's not that's not me saying that to you. That's me. That's what I'd say to myself. <laughs> uh, no, I just yeah, just just remember that probably if someone makes a TV show that you don't like, there's probably worse stuff happening. And and you know, Eddie Azard might do some stuff down the line that's quite good. And probably don't tell brilliant creative people to kill themselves (laughs) and and don't share that little britain sketch with anyone (laughs) i see what you're trying to do i do i do appreciate what you're trying to say but i mean it's It's a bit clumsy and it won't be appreciated in your own lifetime. (laughs) Once you're gone, sure. Uh, (laughs) People will go, Yeah, you really had a point about Little Britain Series (laughs) 3. That was a worthy target of vitriol. Um, Because also, like, you don't realise at the time things are so transient. At the time, I was like, Little Britain was everywhere. You know, and I was young, and I thought I knew what was funny, and my favourite shows weren't getting recommissioned, and Little Britain was, ever, and it was selling loads of dolls and toys and scripts. It's massive, and you know, and you have this real sense of injustice of like, well, this isn't fair because Fifteen Stories High only got two seasons, no one's buying a Sean Lock doll for their dad at Christmas <laughs> that does a cash raise. It's not fair, but now, to young people today, oh, I feel very old saying that. But do you know what I mean? To students now. Know or care about Little Britain and Matt Lucas and David Williams. You know, David Williams is a very successful children's author. Matt Lucas has done Pompadour. I I quite enjoyed. He's done lots of various film things. I don't hold any ill will towards them. And it's really transient, isn't it? Those no one's doing those catch now. It doesn't matter, but at the time, it just seemed really important. A little
1: Britain was ginormous when it was out, when it was yeah. being made. But it doesn't feel like it's fallen into the same place as classic shows like um, Faulty Towers and the likes. Where they, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it, they don't think they're repeating
2: the shows. No, and also, like I say, like you wouldn't be able to make a show like that now with. Some of the crassness, some of the kind of things they had, like Ting Tong, The Thai Bride, and some of the blacking up and stuff, I don't think you'd get away with quite as easily now. And yes, the writing was lazy by Series 3, but fine, it's a sketch show. Who cares? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't affect anyone. And I think ultimately what I felt about Little Britain is probably a lot of people would agree with me now. Like It was kind of raved about at the time, but a lot of us who had our doubts... You know, time has kind of proven us right, and me writing an angry blog about it didn't change that. <laughs> Just time and, you know, everything will work out in the end, and there'll be other people making great, interesting stuff, so it doesn't matter if there's a big show that you don't like. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't like... What's the one with Brendan Carroll? I'm not sure. Uh, the Irish uh, with the mum. Oh, are you talking about Mrs. Brown's Boys? Mrs. Brown's Boys, Yes. I don't like Mrs. Brown's Boys, no. like, at all, at all. But that's fine because there's plenty of stuff I do like and it's not really, you know, there's things I'd like to see put on the television, but the stuff I'd like to see put on the television probably wouldn't fill the same time slot or fulfil the same function, so one thing isn't stopping the other thing. Yeah, totally. And so it's all fine, isn't it, really? that there's It's fine that Mrs. Brown's Boys is a thing and I you don't have to engage with it if you don't like it and it's... I wouldn't these days, kind of publicly. Like sometimes people come out and at do at sort of gigs, and they go, "Oh, that you know, famous like some comedian who's kind of famously quite mainstream or sort of bland or whatever." And they and they're like, "Oh, that such and such, he's awful, isn't he? You must hate him, you know." And and sometimes they're right, and sometimes they might be. But I kind of think like, yeah, but I don't really. I know how hard it is to do stand up now it's quite tricky isn't it it's <laughs> yeah. quite tricky uh i've not exactly made it on the panel shows quite yet so who am i to stand in judgment and even people I, I don't necessarily like their tv work i might kind of go yeah but they're producing you have to produce a lot of it at that point and there's different constraints for television so you know and i'm sure when they were in the clubs and working their way up they were shit up, and that's why they are where they are now do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. so i i kind of feel like i don't want to put the boot into anyone or kind of go around slagging off other comedians Uh, Whereas when I was a a 20-something who'd never tried comedy and didn't know any better, I was quite happy to go, that's shit, isn't it? (laughs) And not kind of think about any of the work that could gone to get them there. Thank you so much for
1: joining me, Chris. Um, You're about to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Yes,
2: yes I am. What's your venue and uh, what's your show? Uh, The show is called Premature Emasculation. It's on at the Globe Bar on Nidro Street every day from the third to the twenty seventh at seven fifteen. Fab, and your uh, Twitter? Um, my Twitter is at Mr Chris Chopping, but to be honest, I don't use that one very much. The one I do use is at Brett Michaels PUA. That's Brett with one T. That is a Twitter feed that I do in character as a pickup artist <laughs> with no self awareness, which. Saying it out loud sounds mad and an indulgent waste of my time, and in many ways it is. But what I will say is, I put much more effort into that Twitter feed than is justified by the number of followers, (laughs) and possibly more effort into that than I've put into my Edinburgh show. So I'm a big fan of
1: that Twitter. (laughs)
2: Are you? So if other people would like to follow it, then they are welcome. I would would be glad of the look, because I'm really working quite hard. Uh, <laughs> for <laughs> no good reason. So if you want to follow that, I think it's quite. I think it's got good bits in. I, I love it. I think I've learned from lessons from this blog and just gone. No, keep things tight. <laughs> I like your pick of the days. Oh yes, yeah, that's fun. Or well, did you see recently? Like, someone had put a Bruno Mars picture of the day and use the same hashtag, <laughs> B-M-P-O-T-D. So I just retweeted that and put, what's this bullshit? <laughs> so, yeah, no it's quite a good... Fi- I mean, I'm this sounds very in now, does it? People are listening to this going, this doesn't make any sense. What's this, what's this hashtag, B-M-P-O-T-D? Just look it up. Um, if this podcast could achieve anything, and not just this episode, but the entire run... If- driving more people to the brett michaels twitter feed should be it <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my strongly held uh, belief i'll try my best to okay
1: Um so um that's it this was uh, I'd sooner forget this uh, I've been Daryl Smith I was joined by Chris Chopping if you have got a few moments free then please do give it a share on your social media um a quick review on iTunes generally the five star option is the only option that actually works um so please do that um and if you don't have the time for that then just click subscribe and just look out for next week's episode bye <laughs>